Hello and welcome to episode 280 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champions. It's the Jerry Rice edition of the podcast. Oh, hell We thought it was going to be the Steve Larchin edition. <laughs> on Sunday, when we attended the Seahawks game, this might have been when I was flying back from Spokane, where my flight was entirely Seahawks fans going to the game. I saw someone wearing a jersey that was Rice 18, and I was so confused because I was like, I know good and damn well that Jerry Rice wore 80 in Seattle. It was a Sydney Rice and jersey. And only then did the that it was a Sydney Rice jersey. That's real. I would have thought the same thing, too, <laughs> that it was Jerry Rice. Sydney Rice played so much longer in Seattle. Probably actually had many more memorable plays than Jerry Rice. But if I think of Seahawks receivers named Rice, I'm going to Jerry really every funny. time. Okay. So, Hello. Hello. We're back in person. This is the first time in a while. This is the first time in a couple weeks. And it really is to mark <clears throat> an important occasion. You know, the seasons are changing. They are. And a new season is upon us. Is it? Is it autumn? No. No. Is it fall? No. Is it fresh hop season? It is fresh hop season! And we have from our friends at Two Beers Brewing Company, their fresh hop. IPA. There we go. Fresh hop season is upon us. Ooh, the hops are fresh. This hyper seasonal IPA. Wow. Is a two beers brewing tradition not to be missed. Mm-mm. And we aren't. A brewer's road trip provides us with some of the first hops of the Yakima Valley. Yakima Valley hop harvest. The result is an intoxicatingly aromatic IPA that is new and exciting. Every year. One thing I was wondering, is there fresh hop season elsewhere besides the Pacific Northwest? Like, I assume maybe in elsewhere in California, like on the West Coast. But, like, there's not fresh hops to be, like, brewed on in the Northeast, are there? It's not the same, is it? I don't know. I guess the people of the North, the listener in the Northeast should tell us whether the fresh hop beer is a thing there. I mean, I, I, I don't even care about that at all. You, everything that I care about is taking in the aroma. Okay. Of these fresh hops. What are you getting notes of? I have no idea what the hops are. What are the fresh hops that we have here? Just hops. I don't think it says on the two beers. Wow. I'm not as clear about it. Wow. Short changed. All that we need to know is that the hops, they're fresh. Yeah. And it smells phenomenal. I don't drink a lot of hops that much anymore. Right? I got to tell you, I think I'm going to have to follow your path. Because one thing, so during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. many people drink a lot of alcohol. Mm-hmm. I consumed it more regularly, mm-hmm. like every night when I was at home. Mm-hmm. But I would only have one beer basically every night uh-huh. or whatever drink I was drinking. Two beers. Two beers in this case, yes. Uh, now that I've started like going out socially again and having multiple beers, multiple IPAs, I don't know if I can do it anymore. Oh, yeah. It's lights out. It Not might a good be too decision. heavy. Yeah. Well, so, che- cheers to fresh hop season. This is, this could be IPA number three of the day for me. Is so it we'll really? We'll see how this podcast Where have you goes. Been? You know where I was at. I actually don't know where you were at. I, I told you on the phone. Uh, I was at Breezy City Pizza, or Breezy Town Pizza, I should say. Oh, yeah. Which is in the Clockout Lounge? Clockout Lounge in Columbia City. Yeah, so I had a couple of Bodie's offices there. Hello. So that was my evening. Uh, our toast this week, we start with a rear toast involving 
your Seattle Mariners. Obviously not about their success on the field, although I think we've got some takes coming on that one. But T-Mobile Park will host the 2023 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. It's the third time Seattle has been site of the All-Star Game. 1979 in the Kingdom, 2001 at then Safeco Field. Brand new when the Mariners had a record eight All-Stars during the 116-win regular season. And presumably next, given that timetable. Uh, this is like a pattern that they would do. Wow, in I'm, like, I'm just, the takes are turning. I, is this a take that you were you were thinking of? No, it was something different. Wow, 2045. Look out for that All Star game <laughs> in whatever we're calling T-Mobile Park or wherever the Mariners are playing at that point. It's coming. I was pretty shocked to see this news, though. It was a little surprising given that they usually go to new stadiums, and T-Mobile Park is not new. And cities that have big baseball presences. <laughs> But successful teams, the Mariners managed to go in between hosting all-star games (laughs) and not make the playoffs during that entire time period. Uh, Well, potentially, I guess. (laughs) Wow. I don't know what these takes are going to be. I think not be as optimistic as I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually really funny. We've written them off. I mean, if we're being honest, have you seen the run differential? <laughs> wow. Now we've seen the run differential. <laughs> have you seen the fan graphs playoff odds? They went down tonight, even though they won. Uh, I mean, as you get later in the season, of course, yes. they're going to. Well, because the other teams won. Yes. Uh, the other bit of Stadia-related news this week, Thomas Street, between 1st and 2nd Avenue, outside Clement Pledge Arena, will be renamed Lenny Wilkins Way. After a unanimous vote by the Seattle City Council that was first announced Saturday at the final dinner auction for the Lenny Wilkins Foundation, which is ceasing operations after four decades of charitable service in Seattle. So definitely a big toast to Lenny Wilkins and Lenny Wilkins way. Absolutely a toast to Lenny Wilkins. But you know what the best way of honoring Lenny Wilkins would be? I'm just being real with you. Naming a street after Lenny Wilkins not really the same as bringing the sport of basketball. The sport oh, okay. that he led. say a statue. <laughs> oh, no. no, I was going sincere about this one. Wow. Lenny Wilkins actually won a championship. He deserves a statue more than any other person in Seattle. No, not more than any other person in Seattle because you know who damn well who the first statue at Climate Pledge Arena is. Super. Yeah. Okay, but that's not what I'm saying. Yes. What I'm saying is that bring to the Sonics back. honor Lenny Wilkins, how about instead of naming a fucking street? After him, you bring the sport that he took to the highest heights of the sport in the city of Seattle. Put Seattle basketball on the map, and you don't let that sport go away. You have a team play basketball in the city of Seattle. Well, that was a different city council and a different vote. It was not unanimous. I was going to say, I saw a unanimous vote by Seattle city council, and I got a little bit sick to my stomach here. (sighs) They're very, very good at, at approving votes to... Name the street after Lenny Wilkins. Not so good when it actually matters. Also involving a street. Yes. <laughs> Didn't have to, could have renamed it, I suppose, after it was vacated. Uh, well. So, but, in, you know, at least he'll be driving down Lenny Wilkins' way to a hockey game. <laughs> Into a Gonzaga game. <laughs> are they going to play there? They're, they're, they're playing a big game. I forget who they're playing, but someone, some national power is coming to play Gonzaga in December. The battle in Seattle is back. Oh, God. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> and also storm games. Yes. Should we get back to our search for Seattle's best fried chicken? Wow. After so long. I already forgot all the chicken. I ate. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it is finally time 
for the last quarterfinal in our search for Seattle's best fried chicken, because finally we attempted to go to Cookie's Country Chicken and it was open and serving fried chicken. What an exciting momentous occasion. And uh, here to help us judge this last quarterfinal, someone who got cookies a long time ago and simply soulful (laughs) even longer before that. Uh, Talking Taco Time co-host Chris Smith joins us. Woo! Good to be here. Now, we've already heard your chicken credentials, Chris, because you were a judge on a previous round, right? We're, yeah. We're, those credentials were very lacking, but now... Yes. The, my chicken credentials have, like, quadrupled. So. That's, that's really incredible. I mean, I we didn't have chicken <laughs> credentials going into this, and now I feel like we kind of do, but... I, we we, we didn't have bone-in fried chicken credentials. It, it really is true. <laughs> You gave a look like you were you had forgotten that Chris previously I, judged. I did Red. forget that. That is wow. correct. <laughs> it's been a long time. That's how long this chicken search has been going on. Uh, well, Chris, how have your chicken credentials changed? Well, I feel like after these last two, uh, just my whole idea of what is good fried chicken has definitely changed. Wow. I mean, that's interesting. I, I presume this starts with the fact that, as we've discussed when we reviewed it, Simply Soulful is the one remaining location, the one location that made the uh, elimination rounds of our search for Seattle's best fried chicken that does not serve a variety of different fried chicken options. They just serve wings along with their other soul food staples. Yeah, which I, did, I didn't really know when I, you know, before I went. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised by the size of the pieces, but that's the only thing that you can say if you want as a negative, you know, review of their chicken. Wow. So the previous time we went to Simply Soulful, we got the chicken and waffles, I believe. This time I did, I did their fried chicken dinner, which is like, I think six wings, the full wing. You're getting both both parts of it, plus two sides. Obviously, mac and cheese and candied yams. Oh, wow. H- had to get the sweet potato pie as a side. So it was it was an excellent soulful meal for sure. Yeah. How do you keep such a thin figure? <laughs> uh, I, I did the same. I, I think there was a muffin in there too, a cornbread muffin. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, don't, don't, don't sleep on the cornbread muffin. Again, just a very different chicken than what we've had through most of the search and a very different chicken than something you're having at Cookies. And it's almost like these two are in the same search, but they're not really in the same category of chicken. And I think that's what made this round so particularly difficult, possibly the most difficult round of the entire first round of the chicken bracket what do we call this the quarterfinals yes okay of the quarterfinals of the chicken bracket uh it really was two different styles of chicken competing against each other in a way that we have not seen anywhere else during this bracket uh chris do you want to start you mentioned how great of an experience you had at simply soulful what was your experience at cookies was this your first time there well, yeah, well, I mean, we tried to go in the intermission of the, you know, the Portland-Seattle soccer games, and then we were closed. Uh, 
which was not their fault. That was a listing (laughs) time that were closed. That was all on me. Yeah. And then, so I went back a few days later. They didn't have any of the fried chicken. (laughs) So I just, I had a sandwich that was, uh, it was fine. And then they had this little um, chicken bites, bag of bites. Those are pretty good. Like very, like a lot, a lot of, yeah, like almost like nuggets, kind of like bigger than popcorn chicken. I kind of want to eat that right now. <laughs> they were. <laughs> Is that going to be better would, than the cup noodles say, you're currently eating? <laughs> <laughs> I would say they were better than anything else that I had there. Really? Um, yeah. So when I went back for the actual fried chicken, I don't know. I was a little disappointed. I don't know. The, the pieces were gigantic, though. I, got, I think I got like two thighs and a uh, drum. But, you know, this, the breading was just like really just coming off of the chicken super easy. So, it was, you know, kind of a mess. And I didn't feel like the flavor was that great, like the seasoning. So, I mean, it was fine. So we were finally able to go Sunday before this Yaks game. In this case, a reverse, where it was listed that they were not open yet, but special hours for the Seahawks game. We called ahead and found out they were open. And we ordered... Uh, thighs with the chicken combo and then also a chicken sandwich. I had one of the thighs along with some of the sides. Tristan, you had one of the thighs plus you finished the entire chicken sandwich because uh, you had not eaten that day. I still what, missed the sides though. What sandwich did you guys get? Because they have they have like two different ones. Just the regular one. one. Had a tomato on it. With, okay, yeah. And then I got the other one it was like you could choose your spiciness. I got like three star spicy. It wasn't that spicy. I, I think we got two on, on the chicken. Did you get any spice on the fried chicken when you got that? The chicken choice? I don't think, I didn't know that was an option really. I just, you they didn't ask. Okay. Cause I was just like, yeah, give me two thighs and a, a drumstick. You ordered yeah, the, the right, the right chicken though. I will say two thighs yeah. and a drumstick is top notch. <laughs> The, the barn burner is their Nashville hot chicken sandwich. And that's where, you know, basically the spice for that is what they put on anything else when you order it with some spice. Okay. Yeah, I thought that sandwich was okay. Not, you know, not bad, but uh, whatever. We're not judging the sandwiches right now, but yeah, no. the fried wipe chicken. It, wipe uh, it from your mind. The chicken was probably, go ahead. I'm also going to have to strike from my record that the cookies fries are up there. When we do our search they for were, Seattle's best fries, yeah. they are a strong contender. Really? Yes. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I've, I'm going to say it, guys. Simply Soulful is the best fried chicken I've ever had. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Been, the spice on that take. It's hot. I haven't it's... been on this journey with you guys. So, you know, I haven't tried all the other ones, but in my opinion, I mean, I haven't had chicken that tastes that good any time that I can recall. Hello. That, I mean, is, that is spicier is... than the Nashville chicken sandwich. 
five star <laughs> spice right there on that take. The best fried chicken you've ever had. I, I love mean, this to is, hear it. This is remarkable because one of the things I noticed when I went back to Simply Soul for the second time is they had a bag for the wings sitting outside. They're Costco wigs. They're just using Costco wigs. And they are with the breading they are doing on those wings. Yeah. Not even with a thigh, not a breast, not a drumstick, not... Not a wing. I guess it is wing. Uh, they, they are managing to create. create not a wing. Best- it's not even a bird. <laughs> they are managing to create the best fried chicken you have ever had. I, that is that's incredible. what it's about, though. I mean, what, what's the difference, right? You take the base. This is the elements of cooking. You take the base <laughs> and then you do your thing to it. You yeah. know, like I don't. But the seasoning, the breading, it was like perfect. It's all you know. It wasn't even, you know, messy or anything. Tastes so good. I had, they have like little uh, Frank's packets. So I did get the like chicken and the waffle. So it was like, you know, a little Frank's, a little syrup, like amazing. I, I really think it's about the experience and the care that you're putting into it. I'm very impressed by that. I was also... Very, I'm guessing your vote is for simply soulful. <laughs> <laughs> you've ever had, uh, yeah, I think that's a safe assumption. Okay, I'm, go- I'm going, I have, a, I have a burning heart emoji for simply soulful <laughs> chicken. It really is interesting because I've now had cookies twice. The first time I had it was at the very beginning of the search, and I think it was the first time that I, I really said to myself. Oh wow, bone-in fried chicken is significantly better than a chicken strip or a chicken nugget or something else, right? It was when I learned that the thigh was the king of fried chicken. And I think the elements from that first time of having cookies, I I don't know if they're quite as impressive after the rest of the search. So do you think that's the issue, or do you think it was just that the chicken we had on the day was not as good as what we had the first time? Because that was my assessment of it. I, I can only judge it by the chicken I had. I can't say, you know, like we don't, you can't go back in time and have that chicken again with your current palate. That's the thing. You can only judge chicken based upon every other chicken you've had. Does that make sense? Yeah. So <laughs> as you've had more chicken, the way that you judge chicken is different. And if you would have had that same chicken that you had the first time from cookies now, it might have tasted the same as the chicken that you had from cookies now. So (laughs) it's a really tough thing to parse, which is, was the chicken worse this time? Or was the search for Seattle's best fried chicken, did that change you as a person? Because I, I think we're all changed as people during this process. Clearly, I mean, Chris has impressive fried chicken credentials now. 100%. I'm a changed person. The, the cookies chicken, where it excels, is keeping the juices in. And you are you disagreeing? No, no, I'm, not, I'm, no I'm like, it's incredible compared to everyone else. I, I don't know how there's, it's dripping wet the cookies fried chicken and it really is what they do best i agree with you chris about the skin falling off pretty easily i mean you could have looked in front of me if you were outside of 
got Steiner and something general store on Sunday before the Seahawks <laughs> game. Yeah. That place is fucking tight, by the way. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I got some uh, canned canned uh, Prosecco there before the 2019 MLS Cup. Hell yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> I regretted not getting more beer this time. I didn't know we were going to be eating outside. But, but, the flavor was not not quite the same. You know, it, it wasn't it, a spice it, level this time. That's what I'm saying. It's like maybe we had to do four stars on the spice or something like that. Maybe it had to be even spicier. And I understand, look, it was probably one of their busiest days of the year. You know, like it was the Seahawks regular season opener. I get it. They were busy. But the experience at Simply Soulful, the whole package of you go in there, right? You're getting the full meal. Everything about it is so impressive. And the chicken is done just perfectly how they do the wings. It's I, at the very least, I would say they are the best chicken wings I've ever had. But the chicken wing is, it's not the king of fried chicken. And I think that's where I still have to lean toward cookies in this round. Because I, I, would, I would say the, the breading is not like, the, like a regular, like any type of wing I've ever had. No, I, I agree oh, with that. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're here. If it was just yeah. a straight fucking Buffalo Wild Wings chicken wing, they would not even be in this conversation. You know what I mean? Nobody, nobody who is working at Simply Soulful ever had the idea not to bread those wings, right? There was no teriyaki chicken wings. There was no barbecue chicken wings. There was no boneless chicken wings ever conceived of. Not even any lemon pepper wet. The, <laughs> these are, it is fried chicken, but when you do a chicken thigh as well as Cookies does it and you keep those juices in, I still think, and this is not even a judgment of Simply Soulful, I think it's just, it's really hard to have those wings be Seattle's best fried chicken. And that's why, despite everything, they were extraordinarily close, but I still leaned a little bit towards cookies, although I do not think they're the favorite anymore in this bracket. Man, I would kill for a, a fucking simply soulful chicken thigh. So here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm holding out some hope. We talked about this when we first reviewed them over the summer, but I'm sure Tristan has already forgotten it. Uh, Simply Soulful is moving to a new larger location, more modern location at the apartment development at 23rd and Jackson, where Catfish Corner has already moved to. They said end of the summer is, is the description. Now, now I'm, I'm checking Today. my notes. Today <laughs> is the first day of fall. So it, it tomorrow. not by the end of summer, unfortunately. There's, there's literally a calendar today. right in front of me. Tomorrow <laughs> is the first day of autumn. <laughs> but... Uh, that's really I, funny. I'm optimistic that it's possible that once they get to this new larger kitchen, it, it's possible they might add a full fried chicken option. I'm and happy, I will be the reassess. first in line. And and you know what? If it happens before we end this search, because who knows exactly when we're doing wow. the final now that we don't have a live show, <laughs> we will re-rate them. We could bring them back into the tournament wow. at any time if they start serving <laughs> more than wings. But Ultimately, I do agree with Tristan that just even a thigh that was not the peak of thigh quality is still better than the very best wing, in my opinion. Because I mean, you're just getting, it's just such a much better like expression of the meat to breading ratio and everything like that. I mean, you guys have been eating a lot of chicken, so I'm not 
quite on that level, but I just, I mean, you're talking about uh, the spice wasn't there. You're, you're making it seem like with cookies, if you don't even, if you don't get the spiciest, you're not even getting like any flavor whatsoever. I mean, that's what's surprising compared to the first time. And I, I definitely, I think part of this, this decision for me is knowing what we had the first time we went there and how good it was then. And cookies, by the way, we haven't talked about that on the pod. They also are opening a new brick and mortar location at some point here. Posted it's on a Instagram. boom market for chicken. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> on, on the back of the Pelton Castle. <laughs> exactly. Everywhere is expanding. The Seattle Times hasn't done anything yet <laughs> on it, but it's only a matter of time. It's a question of when, not if. Uh, so they're, but, they post but, on Instagram that they've gotten the keys. We don't know when they're going to be opening up that new location that presumably will no longer be tied to the hours of Trophy Pizza. The, the other pieces, no. it's the juiciness, though. Like, I, I agree. They haven't said where, Chris. Wow. Oh, okay. It's a secret. If it's in the North End, oh. we will never go there ever again. <laughs> I mean, I don't, what is, uh, sorry, I'm really sorry, Bell's curious of, like, <laughs> what the hell is going on with that location in general? Like, it's kind of a weird thing. Like quality athletics is like not a thing anymore. And there's just like a bunch of kitchen supplies in there where it used to be a bar that there's a little bar with the pizza. Then there's a burger place, like all in the same building. There's a lot of moving parts. Look, it's no, what is the yeah. general store called? Steiner? General? <laughs> Conan Steiner. Conan, Conan Steiner. Steiner General. Look, Conan Steiner General knows who they are. We stand. There are a lot of moving parts. I think, with the I think Conan Steiner probably was a little better designed as a business model to withstand a pandemic where there were Ooh. no fans at sporting events for a full year <laughs> as compared to quality athletics. quality athletics. I don't believe so, no. Okay. Is it the skillet dude who owns quality athletics? I'm not Josh sure. Josh something? Okay. Uh, I mean, it does, whole... Yes, Josh Henderson. Josh Henderson, yeah. Okay. Yep. There's a whole apartment building above there. You would think that would help someone, but uh, but it is it's the juiciness still. Like I agree with you about the flavoring, and if if you compare the two, you've got Seattle's best fried chicken. If you compare the juiciness with good flavoring, I I don't know if they're quite there yet, and that's why I think I I've had to lower them down from favorites right now. I think there's a lot of other chicken left in this bracket that has a real shot. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the Simply Saltful is just there's not enough, like, actual chicken there. I see what you guys are saying, but. You should go to Quick Pack, Chris, when you're back in Seattle. That should be the spot. Where is it? It's in the CD. Okay. It's like a, like. Quick Pack? It's like a convenience store in the CD. That has oh. really good fried chicken. I like the whatever it is. The what's the one in South Park? Crispy, crunchy, or something? Not not eligible for this search as a national chain, but <sighs> definitely very good. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the number one seed moves on in a bracket where did we have upsets in the two, three, four matchups? Uh, no, the four five was went went chalk. Okay. I think Heaven Sent was the four seed there. So the, oh, okay. the semifinal matchups we've got coming up next week, we will do Cookies Country Chicken versus Heaven Sent. And then possibly the following week, depending on whether we keep this on schedule, 
ST Hooligans, the number six seed versus the number seven seed Quick Pack Food Mart. Wow. Oh, so, boy. There's some serious chicken to be eaten, some serious decisions to be made coming up as we're down to our final four in the search for Seattle's best chicken. Chris, thank you so yeah. much for joining us again. We, we want you, whether <laughs> you're judging that next round or not, you need to get Quick Pack. Yes. I do. Did I send you some mini mart chicken too? I saw somebody. Uh... You did. Yes. That was on Beacon Hill. And okay, I've heard, yeah. heard that from a few people, but we never got to it as part of our search. I also it occurred to me, I drove past Soto chicken today after I was getting the beer and we, we didn't ever go there. So. Wow. You said you would reassess had... simply soulful. If they have fried chicken, we'll reassess anything. <laughs> <laughs> Look, these searchers, there's a, there's an end point, but they're always ongoing. I agree. We never stop competing. You're either competing or you're not. <laughs> Always compete. Well, thanks so much for joining us and helping us judge this round, Chris. Oh, anytime. And Maybe uh, next week. <laughs> <laughs> and sometime soon, we will have to get another talk in taco time because I don't know if you've heard. Oh, Our fourth co-host is on television now. <laughs> He's big time. Randy is in a with Taco the, Time Northwest commercial. So with his plenty big to discuss. And everything. <laughs> yeah. Incredible stuff. Incredible is, stuff. Is there a version of maybe this is this is a question for Randy? Is there a version of the Taco <laughs> Talk and Taco Time ad that he talks about Talk and Taco Time? I, I don't know that I think he would have told us if there was. Is there it's, BTS? Maybe, maybe it's supposed to be a surprise. There, there is some BTS content that was going to be saved for the live show. I don't know what we're going to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe spring live show. We'll see. That's when we'll crown wait. Seattle's best chicken. We should just have a live show where all we do is we do a bunch of searches and then we just crown the champion for all the searches. <laughs> I believe, believe Evening Magazine already stole that one. <laughs> oh, it's just going to be a rapid fire <laughs> A little segment. Really? And it's... the best chicken was. <laughs> and the best teriyaki. Can, and... we, can we get the restaurant, the chefs there and hand out trophies? If so, then yes, let's do it. it needs to be like some kind of Conan O'Brien bit. We, we'd have to do it on a Monday or Tuesday night, given when all the fried chicken restaurants in Seattle are not open. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all Chris, right. thanks again. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, there it is. So my final set. I guess we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get back at this again this week if we can manage to get successfully get cookies twice in a row. <laughs> I mean, I had it set up so I didn't need to go back to cookies since I'd already been to Heaven Sent to judge it for this round uh, a couple weeks ago when I went before Storm Game. Now I feel like I need to try to find a way to get get to cookies next week. I, I, I think it has it to be weekend, fresh. I'm going to be out of town. It has to be fresh, but maybe not. It was actually might have been a little too fresh when we had it. It was Sunday, maybe too it was fresh. very hot. Are you able to talk about what you're doing this weekend? I, I, I suppose so. The wedding of the century? The wedding of the century. Many are saying. <laughs> uh, Danny LaRue, my uh, uh, NBA podcasting colleague. Is, uh, is getting married, and I'm attending that and flying into Philadelphia because the jer- the wedding is in New Jersey and driving over from there. Over so I've never Ashbury Park. Never been, yes. <laughs> near, near Asbury Park. 
not quite. Send my regards to Danny and his bride. Uh, there oh, was they'll, they'll really appreciate Our that. youngest child, for some reason, he was asking where you're going. And I was like, he's going to Danny Lear's wedding. And 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 uh, he was babyist fantasy genius. Was like, I know him. I know Danny LaRue. And I'm like, oh, you up on that cap space, bro? <laughs> You've been watching the dunked on second screen or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, the four-year-olds are pretty into this. Definitely their demographic, the four-year-olds. <laughs> Well, a quick note on the Kraken. Uh, that training camp begins this Thursday. Mm. So we will have some, presumably some Kraken updates coming next week. Wow. Kraken update. They We're a team month- bus drove down Lenny Wilkins' way to get to the game. <laughs> we are a, a barely a month away from the opening of Climate Pledge Arena. And the we're less than a month game. out from Coldplay opening Climate Pledge Arena. <laughs> well, no, we're still more than a month out. It's October 22nd. Oh, as you're listening to this, we are one month away. <laughs> wow, 30 days until the opening you've all been waiting for. It's all happening. Climate Pledge Arena was all yellow. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, green and yellow, at least for some period of time. <laughs> They painted it. They'll paint it green and yellow in honor of the Sonics, in honor of Lenny Wilkins. They will do every single step that you could possibly take to not to honor basketball without having a basketball team play there. I, you know, I was asked the other day uh, the, by by third Pelton brother Ben Baldwin, mm-hmm. what happened to the Macklemore banner? We've we've left our search for the Macklemore banner from Kiarita, and I need to retake that. It is true. I feel like like narrative podcast. Like this is all the rage right now, right? <laughs> oh. Like what what is the network that you should be going to to sell? You go to Spotify Direct or something. I mean, it's an ESPN thirty for thirty, right? Oh, but it, but audio. I feel like it has to be a podcast, not a. No, they've got thirty for thirty podcasts. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'll I'll talk to Josh. We'll see what we can do. Good. Right, we'll get this pitched. Uh, you're gonna have the power of CA behind it, and I feel like a little bit of a budget here. And you need to do the the podcast on, like, it's it's like a, a a true crime podcast where you're seeking out the Macklemore banner, and so you have to like go find a person, and they're like, go talk to that guy, and then you have to go talk to that guy, and it'll lead you in a different twist and a turn See, or whatever. To this actually get would to. be better as a documentary because I want someone to be like the their face is obscured and their voice is adjusted because they can't talk on the record about the Macklemore Banner. This is they freaking to go off Finding record. Richard Simmons, right? Like, <laughs> that's what the name of that podcast? Yeah, Finding Macklemore Banner. <laughs> or sorry, you. Missing Richard, Shim- Richard Simmons. Missing Macklemore Banner, right? There's your podcast right there. I guarantee you that the listener to this podcast is the only person in the world who would listen to this <laughs> Just go straight to Stitcher. Is it time for your favorite segment? Wow. So quickly. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariner's hot takes coming at you. In this age of irony, at some point, after saying something joking or facetious or so detached from a reality, it couldn't possibly be real. Something happens you start to not be able to tell what is reality and what is a joke anymore. Or like the actor who is so committed to their part that they seem to get lost in the character. Can they ever return? Or will that always be a part of them? (sighs) 
Well, I have some bad news for you. I'm Macaulay Culkin on stage singing Velvet Underground songs about pizza because I present to you Tristan Carcino, full-blown Seattle Mariners fan. Oh, no. I watched that Mets 30 for 30 last week, and while I saw Daryl Strawberry's rookie year as he blossomed from being kind of bad at the start to being an amazing player by the month of September, I legitimately thought to myself, that's Jared Kelenic this year. <laughs> he has a 938 ops in September, a homer every three games during the month. They're riding a wave that not only will carry them into the playoffs this season, but I genuinely believe that they have a team that is set up to dominate teams in 2022 with another year of development for Kellenic and Logan Gilbert, the return of Kyle Lewis plus Julio Rodriguez. You know J-Rod's coming. And I'm afraid to say, I actually believe this because I don't know where the Mariners' hot takes begin and I end. <laughs> Outstanding. Is Logan Gilbert Dwight Gooden in this? Is he Doc? Oh, this? better. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out which, which player is the Lenny Dykstra of this. Maybe of this it's thing. Julio Rodriguez. Mm, perhaps so. We know very little about him. He's not going to come up until after the service time deadline next year. You, you have to remember that. J-Rod? Yeah, there was very little service time manipulation in the 30 for 30 once upon a time. Big mistake. Big mistake. (laughs) Mets may have won more World Series had they done that. Uh, The Mariners lost their last two to the Red Sox last week as the Red Sox have taken command of the the race for the first wild card before taking two of three over the weekend in Kansas City and then have won the first two of their four-game series in Oakland. It seems like the Mariners are extremely good against the A's. If they just played the A's all the time, they'd win like 116 games, right? Maybe that should be the strategy, but they are three out of the second wild card at 82 and 69 behind both the Blue Jays and the Yankees and still tied with the A's with that run differential at minus 57. (laughs) (laughs) All right, big week for the Seattle Sounders. Wait, do you know how many divisions in baseball the Mariners would be leading with their record? How many? One. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be winning the AL East. (laughs) The what? They would be winning, or sorry, the NL East. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, the NL East has like the four best teams. There's not a lot about baseball I know, but I saw that scoreboard at Wrigley Field. I know that. Uh, big week for the Sounders, who advanced to the League's Cup Final with a thrilling one nothing win on Tuesday against Santos Laguna. That matchup was scoreless into stoppage time after the Sounders dominated the first half. Well, much more even second half. Uh, with Santos Laguna playing a first-choice squad and the Sounders more or less playing that with uh, Nico Ladero and Nuhu unavailable due to injuries. We'll talk about Ladero's status in a minute. Two minutes into the three of stoppage time, newcomer Leo Chu making his Sounders debut, fed a streaking Rel Rui Diaz, who managed to outrun a pair of Santos Laguna defenders and get a chance 1v1 with the keeper. His first effort was stopped. But Ruidiaz scored on the rebound to send the Sounders through to the League's Cup final in Las Vegas Ugh. this Wednesday night against Leo. You grow up dreaming of a League's Cup championship. 
Uh, it was less thrilling Saturday at Real Salt Lake where Demir Kralich had the lone goal shortly after halftime is Real Salt Lake beat the Sounders 1-0. Uh, Real Salt Lake had a 16-9 advantage in shots against a rotated lineup with Yaimar Gomez Andrade coming off the bench and Joao Paulo getting a full day off. Uh, Sounders winless in their last 11 matches at Real Salt Lake. What in the... A house of horrors, Salt Lake. <laughs> Rio Tinto Oh, and also they don't play soccer very well. <laughs> uh, so the bad news, Ladero underwent arthroscopic knee surgery on his right knee Monday in Chicago. He aggravated the injury to his knee that sidelined him nearly the entire first half of the season in a recent training session. Typical timeline for arthroscopic surgery, depending on the type and the severity, two to six weeks. There's six and a half weeks left in the MLS regular season. <laughs> <laughs> we're like we're in September. We're getting close to that stretch run. Oh my god! And once you once fall hits, you know there's only like six weeks left in the MLS regular season. Uh, it's six, six weeks after fresh hop season. Brian Schmetzer said the surgery was quote a little cleanup, and that Lodero will be back this season. So that's good news. In happier news, Jordan Morris getting close to full training seven months after suffering that ACL tear playing for Swansea. So that'd be exciting to get him back. That's awesome. For the MLS playoff run, the MLS Cup playoff run. Uh, let's talk about this matchup Wednesday in Las Vegas against Leon, who is fourth in Liga MX's in a soccer power index, two spots, but a fairly sizable gap better than Santos Laguna. So this should be a more t- difficult matchup. Uh, fourth so far in the Liga MX's Apertura with 15 points after winning the Guardianes t- 2020 title by beating Pumas in the finals. They beat Sporting Kansas City 6-1 in the quarterfinals of the League's Cup and Pumas 2-0 in Houston to reach the final. So it should be an entertaining matchup, I think. They actually call it not Liga MX, it's Liga MAX. Well, that's how X is pronounced in Spanish. But has anybody ever said it that way they before? They did it on the broadcast the entire time last did they? Wednesday, Okay, that's why you're saying it this Last Tuesday, which convinced me to do it. I was like, this is not a way that I've ever heard this pronounced <laughs> before. We are going authentic here on the problem. We're known for our, our authentic pronunciations. Uh-huh. So. <sighs> Sounders, another big one at the weekend after this. They'll, you know, obviously be focused on winning this League's Cup title, winning a cup, which presumably you can drink out of. Uh, but at the weekend, another big one against Sporting Kansas City in a matchup of the top two teams in the Western Conference, by the way, that League's Cup final on ESPN2 Wednesday night. Uh, and then Sunday's matchup against Sporting Kansas City will be on FS1, nationally televised. Uh, Sporting Kansas City first in the West right now with 46 points, one more than the Sounders, but the Sounders have a match in hand and are tops, therefore, with 1.88 points per match to 1.84. For Sporting Kansas City, Colorado just behind at 1.83. So a three-team battle for first in the West in that single buy that's available. Uh, Sporting Kansas City led by 13 goals and six assists from Academy product Daniel Shalloui. Well, rain was off last weekend for the international break. Return to action this Sunday hosting the Orlando Pride. Orlando come in, comes in fourth in the NWSL with 28 points. Former rain star Sidney LaRue, tied with Bethany Balser, is the league's leader with eight goals this season. 
Uh, Seattle Storm wrapped up the regular season Friday against the Phoenix Mercury in a matchup that was going to effectively decide the uh, the final single by the number four seed in the WNBA playoff standings and behind a career-high 37 points from Jewel Hello. Lloyd, including a record-tying 22 in the first quarter alone. The Storm won that one. Phoenix got within four in the final minutes, but Lloyd took over late at a three-point play when she was fouled by Brittany Griner, and uh, the Storm won that one without Brianna Stewart. When clinched a first-round bye for the Storm, they did drop to fourth in the WNBA standings after the Minnesota Lynx won on the final day of the regular season Sunday while the Storm were at off. Uh, the Storm will host the best remaining seed from Thursday's first-round matchup, so most likely a rematch against the Mercury, who played in Seattle without Diana Taurasi. Taurasi hasn't played since September 6th due to a knee injury, but the hope is for her to be back in the lineup on Thursday. Phoenix won the first 10 games after the Olympic break, but none of them against the four teams ahead of them in the standings, and then dropped their final three of the regular season, all of them against those top teams, Connecticut, the uh, Storm, and Las Vegas. Uh, they'll host the New York Liberty in the first round. The 12 and 20 Liberty have the worst record ever for a WNBA playoff. 12 and 20. Even the Mariners could make the playoffs if you got in with a 12 and 20 record. Uh, if the Liberty somehow pulled off the upset, the Storm will host the winner of the Chicago Dallas. Is there a big matchup. tanking problem in the WNBA? No, it was just kind of a. I mean, teams weren't trying to lose. There was just a really big gap between the top. Is six teams and five teams and won 19 games. We were close to having five teams win 20 games, which would have been pretty remarkable in a 32 game season. Uh, it would be, it, I mean, Storm Mercury would be pretty great because you'd have the matchup of Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. And are they the two oldest players in the WNBA? I'm pretty sure they are. I mean, Sue for sure is the oldest. Uh, both winding down their careers at this point, and of course a rematch of so many classic. Don't matchups. tell me that. Well, <laughs> yes, uh, so many classic matchups between these two teams. Most recently, that 2018 semifinals where Suber delivered the classic Game Five performance, 14 points in the fourth quarter, as the Storm handed Diana Taurasi her first ever loss in in a in a winner take all elimination game, and. Uh, 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 big question for the Storm is the health of Brianna Stewart, who will be reevaluated Friday after missing the final two regular season games with a foot injury she suffered on September 7th. Storm coach Noel Quinn said earlier this week she's hoping Stewart is cleared to practice Friday and Saturday ahead of the game, get a couple of practices in. That would be great news if so. Let's turn our attention to football. All right. Starting with the University of Washington, which has won a football game. I don't. It's really year. hard. We're going into a football weekend where I'm I'm neither ecstatic or am I furious. I don't really know. Maybe this is just like the normalcy of a football season. Going into a week where I don't have like I I don't have strong feelings either way about UW or in general. In general, Seahawks or UW. Like I'm not like I think a lot of people have some strong opinions about the Seahawks. All right, right. I'll, I'll drum some up, but I just feel like. <laughs> Like, some people have opinions about your Seahawks takes in the past on oh. last week's podcast. <laughs> but it is, it's kind of strange to have a game where this game against Arkansas State. So I think the Huskies go three and out to start the game. Yes. And I, I see, I was just looking at Twitter for a second. I hadn't even like gotten home to start watching on TV. Because again, I was back in Seattle. My trip that I was supposed to be on that was supposed to take me through the weekend canceled. COVID. Thank you. The... 
So I end up back in Seattle. I'm like, I could hypothetically go to this game. I'm not going to, but I could hypothetically go to A it. lot of people made the choice not to go to the game <laughs> that had tickets. There, there were a lot of wise people out there. Who and it's just like the photos of the stands after it started pouring rain in the second quarter. Oh, boy. oh my God. Yeah, no, there was not a chance in hell that I was going to attend I th- this game. I, th- I think even I would have gone to the th- back to the 300 level after the terror <laughs> of the Montana game <laughs> in that kind of rainstorm. You were willing to experience the terror of the 300 level to avoid rain. <laughs> It would have been like a 35-point comeback for Arkansas State if you would have been there. Thank God you didn't go. Uh, So I was streaming this one in Spokane, and I missed the first series. I turned it on at the end of Arkansas State's first series. So as far as I know, the Huskies played great on offense all game. Everything was great. Yeah. Uh, But so after that first drive, I see that they had gone three and out, and I'm just like, oh, it's Fuck it. Let's just lean into this, right? <laughs> you were like 0-12. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, no, let's uh, let's have it be as ugly as possible. And I I don't want to say, despite being a 52-3 to win, it didn't feel like... It definitely wasn't perfect, right? It wasn't like a beautiful game that was played, at least by the offense. I think the defense in general played a pretty phenomenal game in this one. And I think we can all agree that the defense is good. Right, There's no question about that. But it did, if you're the type of person who wants to rationalize, if you want to find glimmers of hope, if you want to think that offensive coordinators who are assistant running back coaches in their <laughs> prior career, the uh, in their prior position, if you want to think that maybe they've seen the light, that maybe they've had a come-to-Jesus moment, then this was the week that you could squint hard enough and think that maybe that's the case. So we've got a full seven days post-Arkansas State to say to ourselves, maybe it's all turned around. Even more than seven days, because I think that game ended more than, you know, earlier than this Saturday's game. You're, you're factoring in the hours. I am. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so I think two things. Number one, like there is an element of, well, why the fuck didn't you throw the ball the first two games? <laughs> Like, it's actually more frustrating that they won they so easily. They did throw the ball State. against Montana. I won't say that they didn't throw the ball against Montana. They didn't yeah. throw the ball the right way. They didn't throw the ball down the field, but they didn't have any receivers. And one of the things we learned this day the, on Saturday is Jalen McMillan is a major difference maker. 10 catches in 11 targets for 175 yards and a touchdown after entering the game with one career catch. It's wild that Jalen McMillan only had... I feel like we've been hearing his name for so long. I mean, it's... Like, the Huskies have gone that long without playing a football game as part of it. Uh, McMillan had, was, had three of the Huskies... I decided to do another fresh hop here. There you go. Had three of the Huskies' five completions of at least 30 yards in his first extended playing time. This is the thing that fucking pisses me off about... <laughs> Wait, no, I'm angry again. Oh, the, no. The, but, but it's a bit of a silver lining, right? Because we saw a difference. And I, I don't want to say... Look, we're all about a growth-based mindset here at the Pelton Cast. And if John Donovan and Jimmy Lake can have a growth-based mindset when it comes to offense, that's phenomenal. I would cheer them on, right? And that's what's so hard to understand about the first two weeks of the season, right? That they didn't try to throw the ball down the field, basically at all. And I think this idea, I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you say quarterback X can't do X, And I think that there's rarely a time that that's the case. Almost all of it comes back to the, there's obviously ability at play here, but a lot of times in college sports, when you're playing against Montana, it's going to come back to the scheme more than it is to the personnel. And to me, I think they, they had scheme problems in week one and probably in week two against Michigan. Although Michigan doesn't seem like they look very good, but these are, these are, 
John Donovan problems, not Dylan Morris problems. And I think that's what's really frustrating about it is I think that Dylan Morris is a better quarterback than he's given credit for right now. He's able to make those throws down the field. You just have to give him an opportunity to do it. Michigan is up to number three in FBI efficiency this season. They seem they actually it's seem Georgia, good. Alabama, and then Michigan. So yeah, they they may be very legit as it turns out. Although I'm sure Michigan fans are saying not yet. They actually completed some passes. It looked like on Saturday. Uh, I mean, I, I like Dylan Morris did have opportunities to throw the ball deep last season and was not very successful in those opportunities. Now, one of the things I pointed out when we talked about Russell Wilson in his first half versus his second half is those deep passes aren't a very large sample. So, you know, a drop here, uh, a great defensive play there can make a big difference on those handful of plays. My assessment going into the season based on that and what we had heard about the Huskies' open practices from the media is that Dylan Morris was ineffective passing the ball deep. But clearly in this game, he put the ball where it needed to go and his receivers made plays. Let me give a take here. I'm sure somebody has researched this. This is a, maybe a bad question. Is there value in throwing the ball deep even if you're ineffective at doing it? Yeah, that's a that's like a football outsider's guest piece, I feel like. Because... Just by, th- you still need to defend the passes deep. There's no defense that's like, fuck it, he can't throw deep. We won't even defend those, right? Because any quarterback can make a deep throw undefended. And having. <laughs> well, actually, I believe Tennessee at one point on Sunday ran out the new, yeah, let's not even defend the deep ball strategy. <laughs> not, but, clearly not intentionally. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, by throwing, yes. by throwing those passes, well, I mean, if you're the fucking person who's just like, the same people make the argument that you need to run the ball to show that you can run the ball to set up all this other stuff. But there's nobody out there who's like, well, you need to throw deep to do all the other things. Where's that guy? Actually, right? I think Sean McVay said that when he traded for Matthew Stafford this but year. The only Bruce Arians is the only one out there willing to do this work, right? <laughs> he did the research project. Yeah, he did the research. And it works. It works, defending Super Bowl champion. But where's the person who's saying you need to pass the ball deep to set up everything else? Because that's what happened on Saturday. Well, it wasn't specifically deep, but one thing Jimmy Link said after the game, and again, it's like, man, where was this the last two weeks? We had to throw the ball a little more to open up front lanes. It's not, but it's about not about throwing the ball more. That's the thing. Yeah, I, the the I, idea that, that... But they didn't throw the ball very much against Michigan. I agree against Montana they did, but not against Michigan. I think there's this idea that you throw... Or you run. And I don't think that it is so linear. There's a lot of gray areas in there. Again, you can run the I ball. I mean, actually, no. By definition, those are the only two things you're then, allowed to then, do. I mean, punt, I guess, is the other option. But no, I'm saying that effective offense is throwing or effective offense is running. We've talked about this extensively. There are very good offenses that run all the time. And it's about it's about motion and misdirection more than it is about you throw or you run. I don't know if I agree that it's more than that. I think that running, even without that, passing is more efficient than running. Passing is just basically so efficient that it's almost always going to be more efficient than running. And that's one of the interesting takeaways from the NFL is the teams that are just like, no, we're not running anymore. Oh, it's kind of wild, actually. That Tampa Bay Telus opener? They do not really run. Yeah. But but some teams run, and they face the Seahawks in week two and week three. But, we'll the, but the, the Huskies did pass in week one, but passing the just passing a lot doesn't mean that that's good offense. But they may not have had the ability, the, the trust in the receivers 
to run those sorts of deep passes. And that's changed with Terrell Bynum and Jalen McMillan healthy. And that, I think, is encouraging going forward. And that's why you're rationalizing zero and zero in the Pac-12, baby. Well, can we just Which, by also... the way, the Pac-12... What a disaster this conference is. Oh, it's, Ooh, boy. It's not, it's not a disaster of a conference. It's just the Pac-12. <laughs> this is what it is. No, the Pac-12 is having, like, the Pac-12 has usually, like, they beat up on each other in football season. But they're not always losing this many games to the Mountain West. This is like a Pac-12 men's basketball season. There we go. On the, on the gridiron. Hello. But can we also just take a step back? Where was Sean McGrew for the first two weeks? It remains perplexing. But he got on the field on Saturday, and he ran for a pair of touchdowns, uh, 36 yards and six carries. Richard Newton also got on track, 10 carries for 52 yards. Kamari Pleasant, who didn't get nearly as much attention for his Sean McGrew, that he wasn't playing the first two weeks, but he also was in a similar situation as a senior who hadn't played at all. He had eight carries for 84 yards playing mostly later in the game. Uh, it was still only 5.1 yards per carry overall against Arkansas State, but that's a massive improvement from where they were, nine yards per pass attempt. I mean, I do think, to go back to one thing you said in the beginning, really, the more impressive part of this game, we knew the Arkansas State defense was going to be overmatched. They gave up 50 points to Memphis. Like, if the Huskies didn't score 50-plus points, it was going to be a problem. But this offense looked legitimately quite, you know, solid. Arkansas State's offense. Yeah. And for them to have three points to be held to, uh, let's see, 4.5 yards per pass attempt in this game, for the Huskies to finally force some takeaways, uh, got a fumble in the third quarter, and then Julius Irving came up with the team's first interception of the season on Arkansas State's final drive. That's all very impressive. And Huskies now in FBI efficiency up to eighth in defense. Still 97th in offensive efficiency. It's, it's been three games. In like... the special teams. Stuck at 116th. They, they still did not have a great day on, day on Saturday, but you didn't need them necessarily in this one. Uh, Sam Heward made his UW debut in the fourth quarter, going 2 of 5 for 31 yards at a 23-yard completion. You factor in the two pass interferences, though? He drew two pass. I knew there was one. I didn't realize there was two. You got to factor in the penalties. Yeah. Okay. You had some bold takes about Sam Heward offline. I guess you're declining to share them? I don't I, on the podcast? They're not that bold takes. I just thought Sam, Sam Heward's touch looked very good throwing the ball downfield. Like, I don't... Accuracy is going to have to be a thing that he works out, but, like, his leading that's, receivers... That's not my favorite thing to hear. I gotta no, but you. his ability to, like, lead receivers to their spots and his touch is excellent. This isn't, like, a Jacob Eason situation. Sam Heward is going to end up being a very good quarterback. And he's very young. When he plays for... Uh, Fred, Fresno State. Oh, no. You know, UCLA has two former UW quarterbacks on the roster. Who else? Ethan Garvers. Oh, they got Garvers, too? They got Garvers. I would take any of them. Any and all. <laughs> Even the ones who are now converted to wide receiver. <laughs> would you? I mean, I'd take Jake Hayner over anybody on this team. I mean, Jake Hayner would obviously be starting a quarterback, yes, without question. But I feel like Dylan Morris, at the same stage of his career, is at a similar point to Jake Hayner. Do you disagree with that? We're not at a similar point in Jay Kaner's career right now. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm we saying we lost to fucking Montana. Like, what do you? Jay Kaner was not going to lose to Montana. I agree with that, but I'm saying don't run off Dylan Morris like you lost to Jay Kaner. I guess so, but it's going to be Sam Heard's job at some point. Like the Huskies are in, they're in a pretty strange with regards to quarterback. Yes, I mean we've seen it. Like the reality is in modern college football. 
at some point somebody's gonna have to transfer. Like if Sam, a lot of somebody's are usually gonna transfer. Yeah, everybody's gonna transfer. Again, you, multiple quarterbacks ended up at UCLA transferring from you. That's pretty wild. Yeah, the, the the Fresno State UCLA game on Saturday featured three former UW yep. quarterbacks. If Sam Heward is not the starting quarterback on week one, 2022, he's going to transfer. Uh, I don't know if Sam Heward is in, in as much hurry to transfer as some other quarterbacks. Not, most of their dads aren't quarter, color, weren't color analysts for the Huskies. Don't work in the UW athletic department. I mean, it's true, but like... There, there comes a point where you just need to play. We'll, we'll get across that bridge when we get to it. We're a long ways from that. Right now, we're focused on Cal, who went 1-3 in the abbreviated 2020 season, losing their first three games after the opener at UW was canceled due to a COVID, or at home, I should say, versus UW was canceled due to a COVID-19 positive test uh, before beating Oregon 21-17 in what ended up the final game for both of those teams in Pac-12 play. At least during the regular season, Oregon did play in the championship. Uh, off to a, a rough start this season, lost at home to Nevada and then at Texas Christian before losing, before I should say, beating Sacramento State 42-30 on Saturday. Their FBI splits 36th on offense, 102nd on defense. Wow. A reversal of the usual defense first tendency for the Bears under former UW defensive coordinator Justin Wilcox. This has strong feels like Justin Wilcox's last year vibes. Fourth-year starting quarterback Chase Garbers has played well, averaging 7.8 yards per pass attempt with 106 rushing yards through three games. His 63.5 QBR ranks fifth in the Pac-12. 2020 was a tough year for Garbers as he averaged just 5.7 yards per pass attempt. Uh, top receiving threat for Cal is senior Trayvon Clark, who has 10 catches for 227 yards, two touchdowns. And redshirt freshman Damian Moore has averaged 5.8 yards per carry. is fourth in the Pac-12 with 237 rushing yards so far. This I thought was a great story. You thought Sean McGrew has been around a long time. Uh-huh. Cal defensive lineman Luke Beckett in his seventh college season. Hello. Redshirt, medical redshirt, and then the additional year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He transferred to Boston College last year after the Pac-12 season was originally canceled, but he couldn't quit Cal. There we he go. He came back for year seven, and he has 12 tackles and a sack so far this season. But despite this that... This is the future liberals want. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> Cal gave up 271 rushing yards to TCU, and while the pass defense has limited opponents to 54% completion percentage, third best in the Pac-12, they've been atypically susceptible to big plays. Opponents are averaging 14 yards per completion, which is the 16th highest in all of FBS, and Sac State's Jake Dunaway threw for 370 yards last week, albeit on 43 attempts. Would take him. Also, keep an eye on wide receiver Nico, Nico Remijo, Remijo, who had a kickoff return touchdown last week. A, and a, a fascinating proposition. Obviously, we're starting Pac-12 play. Like, this is, this is when it really starts mattering. Uh, a brutal non-conference season for the Huskies. But everything can be reclaimed with yes. a good Pac-12 season. So, that's the fortunate thing is... And really, it's just the Montana loss. Like, they were going to lose to Michigan no matter what. Yes. I mean, the other thing, by the way, I've been thinking about is, like, if this Arkansas State game, if they had played like that and that was the season opener, like, you know how excited we would have been going to Michigan? Because I know everyone wants to poo-poo this, but the spread wasn't 49 points on that game. The spread wasn't 49 points on the Montana game. That's 49 points is a lot to win by against if, any FBS opponent. If you're a person who believes that things, if you want to have optimism, 
the only way that this could have worked out is how it worked out. If the Huskies had beaten Montana, even if it was ugly, if they'd beaten Montana by a few points and then they lost to Michigan exactly the way that they lost to Michigan, that Arkansas State game is different. Like, this is why... Uh, I don't know. That Michigan game was still frustrating enough, I feel like. The offense looks different, though. Yeah. Like, you have to have... To have a moment where... The come-to-Jesus moment. Yeah, where you're really willing to train to change your ethos as they a coaching staff. You see the darkness? You gotta see the darkness. <laughs> I mean, it's happened before, right? Like, there have been coaches who have gotten better. I'm not saying that this... I'm not gonna put that much weight on the Arkansas State game that he's now Brian Dable, but, like... There are coaches who have been bad offensive coaches in the past and have gotten significantly better. And the way that that happens is you have to fail. You don't really evolve by success. And I, I think that we, we have to, for this one week until we see them play against Cal, we have to give the UW coaching staff a teensy bit of credit. Wow. Wow, what a moment on this podcast. I said it. I, I look said forward it. to seeing that. I invoked the word teensy. It's going to be on the Pelton quotes, but it's going to be after the game. So we'll see whether there's going to be hashtag Peltoncast hindsight on that. Oh, God. I did want to, by the way, that reminded me, when you were talking about like letting the scheme be more important than the individual talent, it reminded me of how I felt about Matt Hasselbeck and Trent Dilfer when they were both on the Seahawks in like 2001, 2002. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that season as well, yes. <laughs> Naturally. Uh Mike Holmgren, his his control was much looser with Trent Dilfer as a proven Super Bowl winning quarterback uh -huh. than young, unproven Matt Hasselbeck. And they were just willing to let Trent Dilfer throw deep much more than they were with Hass. So I was like, I think actually Hasselbeck's the better quarterback, but I would rather see Trent Dilfer play because the offense is better with Trent Dilfer wow. because of that. You were ahead of your time with knowing that they should be throwing deep. <laughs> Me as well, a neophyte probably thought they should be handing the ball off to Ricky Waters. <laughs> Yes, you probably did. Corey Robinson was not a possession receiver. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, but this is it is a very fascinating Cal team. Like to a certain extent, they kind of play into the Huskies' strengths. You know, you have to look at this game and say they're a good offensive team. And you sort of talk about like Chase Garber's now being a four-year starter. That's how these things work. You start long enough, and eventually you're good. Yeah, I mean Jake Hayner. Like you, you just I play just, long enough. But but. No. Jake Hayner is a generational talent. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we saw it under the lights last weekend against UCLA. Well, sadly, we did not see it when he played against Cal a few years ago. One of many UW losses to Cal lately. That was the threw him in, in the middle of the game. I did not say that it was actually Jake Hayner. Jake Hayner did nothing wrong. That was that was that one's on Chris Peterson. The, and also on all of the Husky fan base that wanted Jake Hayner to play. But, but, we will know after this game how good this UW defense really is, to a certain extent. Playing we'll have against a better sense. Playing against an experienced quarterback who presumably is going to actually pass the ball. I mean, actually, like if you're Cal, you're hoping you don't have to pass the ball because you hope you run it like Michigan did two weeks ago, They're right? Not, nobody's going to run it like Michigan did two weeks ago. Probably not. Uh -huh. And then you look at the... You look at the defense and you say, they're susceptible to big plays. Can we run a real offense here? I don't, I think fundamentally this UW team is just not going to be a good running team, no matter what the situation is. But can they be passable and can they get the ball downfield? And I think watching what the offense does this weekend is going to be extraordinarily huge to understanding what they are for the rest of the season.
Yeah. If if they lose this game against Cal on Saturday and the defense gets a little bit run over or whatever and the offense can't move the ball or whatever, they still are running into the line. There's no motion. Like they looked like a different offense against Arkansas State than they did against Montana or against Michigan. And I think that's what was the most exciting thing about it. It wasn't just like we talked about passing and running. There was more to the offense, just slightly. They incorporated more. and It wasn't necessarily just the results. It was also the process of the offense on Saturday. And I think if they can do it again against Cal and they can, they can come up with a victory and actually a comfortable victory, then maybe the season is salvageable and maybe we know a little... Maybe we know a little bit less about the coaching staff than we felt like we did after the Michigan game. So, this is an important one. Chances of victory? 65%. Wow. I think the same as I gave them for Arkansas State. It is amusing. FBI gives them a better chance of winning this week based on the adjustments than they did against Arkansas State. Uh, which gives them an 83% chance of winning. I am nowhere near that op- just optimistic, but I am. I do remain more optimistic about the Huskies than you do, so I'm going to say 70%. All right, we'll see. I, I have to wait. They beat Arkansas State 52-3. to Like, I'm sorry, but we can't go that far with this. It's weird because I kind of feel like, oh, Cal, you barely beat Sac State, but it's like the, the you know, lost to Montana. So, you know. And that, that game actually was, it was 42-20 at one point in the fourth quarter. Sac State scored the last 10 points. Let's turn our attention to the Seattle Seahawks, where everything was going so well early in the fourth quarter when there was a 68-yard touchdown to Freddie Swain, and the Seahawks led 30-16. to And then... It was the, over. The game was over. And then Jason Myers missed an extra point, and you, like... The immediate reaction from Mina and Danny Kelly on Twitter to know that that extra point was going to come into play was going to loom large in this game. It was just like the most obvious thing. Mina referred to it as Chekhov's extra point. Chekhov's extra point. I can't think of a more perfect description of it. I hate that she's so good at this. And then it came back to matter. Like, it shouldn't have mattered. No, they were up by two touchdowns. Like, if we're being honest, Tennessee was getting the two-point conversion. I We are. Yes, I agree with that. Last Seahawks lost by leading by 15-plus points in the second half, as they did earlier, prior to that, that pair of touchdowns with the Myers misgesture point, was 2004 against the St. Louis Rams, a game that I remember because yeah. of the fact that I did not watch the second half of that. It was opposite. Sonic's game. No, it was opposite game two of the WNBA Finals. Oh. Uh, the Seattle Storm against the Connecticut Sun. This is before Wi-Fi was a thing. <laughs> so I'm just sitting at my seat during the first half in the 200 level. Didn't get courtside seats for that finals. I'm still upset. I think Wi-Fi was a thing at the time. It wasn't in Key Arena. That's for sure. <laughs> Smartphones I, definitely weren't a thing. I, I got on Wi-Fi for the fall, subsequent Sonic season, so I guess it was it was a thing, but it wasn't for that game. The so internet had, didn't even exist. So I had no idea what happened. I come down at halftime of the Storm game and go on the media room computer, because that's the one way I could get on the internet there and see that the Seahawks have lost. You go to the library. <laughs> the library at the arena. The internet cafe that they have. You paid your... put it in a corner. Yeah. I am shocked that the Seahawks have lost this game. It is inconceivable that they could have lost this game. But oh, my I, God. That's it, how I feel about this game on Sunday. It was a different experience because instead of only fighting out at halftime of the game, the Storm ended up winning en route to the title. 
shuts Nikisha Sales missing the corner three at the buzzer. Instead, we like watched the whole thing unfold. That was me falling asleep at the game oh. and then waking up. Oh, I thought you were going to admit that you, woke, oh, absolutely. you fell asleep. I'll, yeah, I'll gladly admit it. I got 10 to 15 children. I'll fall asleep anywhere. No shame. <laughs> it was on offense. I made sure you were awake on defense because we had to make a lot of noise to make up for the fact that the rest of our section was not making much. I oh, am, wow. I am so angry about Seahawks fans. Like this whole like this 12 thing, man I thing. Got, I got angry about Seahawks fans like four years ago and got over it, but you don't go to every game, so you don't oh, know I'm just not, how bad it is. I am not over it. I mean, I've been mad about Seahawks fans this entire time. I'm just not getting not, over it. Crowd noise is a myth, though. Like It might be. It doesn't fucking matter. But there's no downside to making crowd noise on defense. So why? I, well, why the hell not? We just have bad fans. Look, we, you know, the vaccine requirement it eliminated a lot of like really good fans. Let me tell you, <laughs> wearing a mask was not going to prevent me from yelling the entire time. Ryan, Ryan I think it might, have, it might have been a teensy bit quieter though. It's tough to say. Uh, Look, Seattle's drunkest and most aggressive fans couldn't make it to the game. <laughs> I can't I actually can't wait until there's a night game. I'm joking when I say this, but I can't wait until there's a night game and you could always feel like like Sunday night in particular, just like people have been drinking for a long time. You know, Monday night's a little bit different. You come off work yeah. or whatever, but like a Sunday night game. Go to a Saturday night game in Ann Arbor. There's a fair bit of drinking going on before that one. No mass mandate there. No well, vaccine that mandate. Is, that's accurate. <laughs> Uh, people from all throughout Michigan were able to attend that game, but the thankfully I continue to test negative. I think I'm far <laughs> enough outside of that game window. I'm okay. Of both Michigan and Indianapolis. That's actually really good. If somebody asks you, <laughs> "How was the game in Ann Arbor? How was it going? How was it going to the Michigan game?" And you're just, thankfully I was able to continue to test negative. <laughs> oh boy, the. That's actually the only positive that can be taken from that experience. But uh, I'm pretty fascinated what it's going to be like in CenturyLink Stadium or whatever they call it now. Lumenfield. With the the mass mandate and Sunday night football. Because I feel like those masks are coming off. I'm not saying that they were they were firmly on beforehand, but like people are gonna get after it. I mean there's more than there probably would have been otherwise. Anyway, and... you you got very angry at the crowd. It's just it's a it's like a pretty nice it was it's, the weather stayed good. Russell Wilson never was, was touched by rain. Legitimately too hot. Yeah, it was too hot. It's freaking September. Like people just are not you're not gonna get, you know, that that all your rough and rowdy friends into it that much in that first game. The Seahawks don't have a home Sunday night game until December. Hell yeah. San Francisco oh, 49ers. Yeah. So the Seahawks only dropped one spot in DVOA after this game. They are now third in offense, 19th in defense, 23rd in special teams. Of course, DVOA not yet opponent adjusted. But also, before then, can we talk about what the fuck happened? I mean, that, let's, okay, we're going to get there? Yeah, okay. Let's I talk thought about you were it moving now. on. I was like, no. you can't yada, yada, yada this loss. No. I mean, and that's one of the big questions coming out of this is, like, we know that Tennessee is very bad defensively. They have been torched now by both Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, which granted are two top quarterbacks. You said that, like, they'd played fucking Ethan Garbers and... <laughs> Ethan Garbers is good. Colson Yankoff, right? <laughs> if I could have remembered who the Michigan quarterback's name was, I would have said it. Cade McNamara? Cade McNamara. There we go. Uh, 
but the Tennessee offense, we still don't know how good they are. Like, if this had been the outcome in week one before they had played the Cardinals and gotten destroyed by the Cardinals, you would have been like, okay, this more or less makes sense. This is how Tennessee plays. They were 7-2 and two in one-score games last year. They got lucky in another close game. Derrick Henry got better as the game went on, way better as the game went on. It, it kind of made sense, except for the fact that Tennessee was so bad in week one. And the fact that their offensive line got even more injured during the course of this game is Taylor Lewan suffered some sort of recurrence of an injury in warm-ups, got ruled out for the game. He was inactive. And then Roger Saffold left during the game due to injury. And yet the Seahawks defensive line still could not get any pressure on Ryan Tannehill, who was just standing out there, back there, had all day. He was doing crossword puzzles, little Sudoku, and picking out wide-open receivers, usually those against Trey Flowers. Uh, a lot of Julio Jones in this one. You just you, you seem broken now. You have no no response to this. Mistakes were made. <laughs> you just have we. <laughs> you took a victory lap against the Colts' backup left tackle. It wasn't that I took a victory lap against the Colts' backup left tackle. It's that I took a victory lap against Carson Wentz. You... <laughs> Which just like <sighs> should have known better. Yeah, and it was legitimately baffling because whomever the Seahawks trotted out in this game on the defensive line could not do anything. There were sacks that happened in the game, but any sort of idea of consistent pressure, non-existent. And I mean, you know, Mike Sean Dugar pointed this out in his analysis of the game. I mean, the sacks were Bobby Wagner had one. That's the on one blitz. Yeah. There was one where, I forget who it was, but he was matched up. It might have been Mayoa, but was matched up against a tight end. It wasn't like he beat an offensive lineman. And then I forget what the third one was. But it wasn't like, it yeah, wasn't like line up one-on-one and win. The player on the D-line specifically that flashed in any way. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was suboptimal for sure. I mean, I mean the thing about this game. I think we have to tell ourselves that Brian Monet is the most important player on the entire defense. <laughs> MVP Brian Monet. I mean, the thing about this game we haven't get, gotten to yet is, in every way, it was a 2020 Seahawks game. The lack of pressure from the defensive line. The offense, certainly in the first half, not as much in the second half, got away from the motion that we had seen in the misdirection that we had seen against Indianapolis. In the second half, we saw more of it got away from the play action we had seen in week one and against Indianapolis. And it was a lot of just like, we're going to line up and either run or pass the ball. It was really weird, right? Like, you really had to ask yourself on offense. Well, I want to talk about defense first. It was was Elton Robinson, by the way, who had that sack. And the third sack was Al Woods. I'm not sure. I forget how that happened. I, I think it was a 2020 game that they played in a lot of ways. Which is to say, the defense was fucking awful, and the offense played pretty well. Yeah. But it felt a little bit different how it, how it happened. And it wasn't just their secondary getting torched. The specificness of Derrick Henry in particular, just consistently breaking off both the long run, but just run after run after run. And also receptions, which is not a usual part of the Derrick Henry game plan. It was, I for one, I thought Derrick Henry was over. I thought we all agreed that the whole Derrick Henry thing was done. And then the second half of that game happened, and we apparently were all wrong. But this was a game that I thought was uniquely set up 
to, it was funny, like I, I was watching week one and I don't know why I'm thinking about what a 60 year old man thinks about a football game, but in week one, I thought to myself, Pete Carroll's going to fucking love this. They won a game before the fourth quarter. How dare you think that Pete Carroll is in his 60s? Uh, sorry, a 78-year-old man? Yeah, he turned 70 last week. Okay, sorry. A 70-year-old hmm. man. I apologize. He'll, he'll forever be 68 in my heart. I was thinking about this game, and it's like, Pete Carroll must have been so upset in this game. Because they beat the Seahawks doing the one thing Pete Carroll does not want to let teams beat him doing. And No, they, they beat him doing the two things Pete Carroll does not want to do. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is they beat them in the fourth quarter. No, three. I mean, they beat them with deep passes as well. There were big plays. Like, it was just very much a not Pete Carroll game and not I'm being able to run the ball on offense. I'm surprised Steve Sarkeesian isn't the head coach. Like, he, did, he didn't use the exact phrase, clean things up, which is what I predicted on our walkout would be Pete Carroll's message. <laughs> clean things up. You were like, he'll be furious. And I'm like, I don't think he'll be furious. He seemed but... cold and dejected when I saw him on TV. <laughs> but, like, the prevento, he... he he talked about the penalties being preventable, and I think that was that was similar. We'll get there because that wasn't the first that's scapegoating. Like I agree with him, I, but I don't know if it's scapegoating. He kept well. He was pointing to the taunting penalty that happened in overtime, which ultimately ended up costing the team the game. I think not. The taunting penalty wasn't in overtime, was it? It was. So the taunting penalty gave Tennessee a first down. They subsequently punted, but were able to pin the Seahawks deep because of that punt, and then they got the ball back basically in field goal position correct that was in overtime that that happened but so he was no no it was the roughing the passer on jamal adams was in overtime that was wait when was the taunting in the fourth quarter in the fourth quarter okay i guess the roughing the passer from jamal was the one that he probably was also upset about but like i mean the roughing the passer is the or the i'm sorry the taunting which yes was in the fourth quarter was the only one he complained about the nfl on the other ones. I mean, I think like he's right. Like a taunting penalty is complete horseshit. No, obviously we all agree with Pete Carroll. None of us are Wellington Mara or whichever member of the Mara family is like in favor of this. The, the Maras, they're doing the whole thing. Whichever Ro- ex- Rooney, Rooney Mara, right? Yes, Which Rooney star Mara's. of the girl with the pearl earring made this rule? <laughs> yeah, it's her. Yeah. <laughs> but like, the, I, I just, the, that is an awful rule, but. I suppose it's a rule that they're enforcing right now. Like it is a rule they're enforcing. Like you've got to play within the rules, just even if they're irrational ones. I just this wasn't this wasn't a game that P. Carroll wants to see. You know what I mean? Like no. he wants to finish games. He doesn't want to have the worst loss, uh, the first loss when they were up 15 points in the second half since 2004. Like there's some certain things that P. Carroll does not like to see. And I felt like they kind of hit all of them in this game. And getting his team run over, that is like the most triggering thing that could happen to Pete Carroll, right? But also not being able to run the ball. I mean, you look at their complete lack of success in this game on the ground. Well, they forgot how to use an emotion. I think that, and, and I agree that I think that that misdirection in the motion, in the at snap motion, things like that, I think they matter more for rushing than they do for passing. Because passing doesn't necessarily need that stuff to be effective. <laughs> passing is just good. good on its own. Yeah. Rushing is bad, but you can make it okay if you dress it up with a bunch of other shit. <laughs> that's that's like Kyle Shanahan's food, whole food, ethos. Though. It's like the, the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan tree whole ethos. It's like putting cheddar on it's, broccoli. It's I mean, why? I actually kind of like broccoli. Wait, what is, what is the ethos? Broccoli cheddar. That's what they call it? 
No, they don't call it that. I'm saying that's your vegetable. That's your food. Oh, I think broccoli. Steamed broccoli is phenomenal. No, broccoli is, is good. I agree God, with that. I will not stand for this pro- anti-broccoli take. But I'm saying you put a bunch of cheddar on broccoli. This it makes actually it very is different. why I ultimately do not think. I think that Kyle Shannon and Sean McVay are overrated because they are much too willing to run the ball. And it confuses people when you watch the game, but when you look at it efficiency-wise, it's not actually the most efficient way to run offense, which we go are, back to our I, deep past god, Bruce Arians, who knows how to run an <laughs> offense. I think the Rams are doing And it. his descendant, John Donovan. Um, <laughs> oh, no. What happened there? The... <laughs> Did you fall asleep again? <laughs> but no, this is why I'm saying like it, it is something where if you're if you're fucking Chris Collinsworth or whatever on Sunday night football, you love to see a good run, but ultimately like a good run is is an inefficient play to have executed. Rams are fifth in offensive DUA thus far, one spot ahead of Tampa Bay. Through two games? Just say. Oh, did they win the Super Bowl last year? <laughs> no, they didn't. How many points did they score in the Super Bowl? How many touchdowns did the Rams score? They did not have Tom Brady. Work <sighs> wrong. Anyway, this was a frustrating game for Pete Carroll. The thing that it reminded me the most of, though, the game that it, it, there were actually two games that it reminded me of, which was were these both last year or, or, or both two years ago? There was the Baltimore Ravens loss and the New Orleans loss. I think these were both in um, 2019 season. That's last time that and. Both of the games, you just looked at and you're like, how did we lose? You're like, the Saints got a punt return touchdown and Marcus Peters got a pick six. And all of a sudden, I'm walking out of here and I'm depressed. Like, I mean, there wasn't as many random plays like that in this but, one, though. But The random plays were actually in the Seahawks' favor. It's not the random plays necessarily. It's that you felt like the entire game the Seahawks were going to win. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're walking out and they didn't win. And I think that's why the, the, that this game reminded me of those two games. And we looked back at the end of that season and we said to ourselves, the Seahawks did not win the division because of one of those two games. Literally, if they'd won one, they win the division and they're in the Super Bowl. I think they would have had to win both. Because San Francisco also got the tiebreaker with that win, it, right? It, because the loss to San Francisco or whatever. Right. But whatever. Like... This, it's a longer season now. There are more playoff teams. This game may matter. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Seahawks are last in the NFC West. The all other three NFC West teams are all 2-0. I predict that NFC West teams will lose games. Oh, wow. There's a bold prediction. Thank you. But this game may come back to haunt them. We might be looking back at week 15 and say to ourselves, how did, how did we lose this game? And I still don't feel like we have an answer for it. I, think, I feel like I have some answers. Which well, is that I also Tennessee know, had 505 yards of fucking offense, despite the fact that their receivers kept dropping passes. I also know that a person who somebody on this podcast called the, the, the passing God said that he was reaching out to Richard Sherman this week. And the Seahawks are starting Trey Flowers. Like, we just, we know for a fact this week, last week, we were confused. We know for a fact this week that they do not have playoff caliber cornerbacks on this team. The defensive line, I think, will get better. But, like, 
you would be confused if you think that DJ Reed and Trey Flowers are going to be a Let's pair. Leave DJ Reed out of this. Other but, than the taunting penalty, DJ Reed played well. Trey Flowers is the. I mean, I don't want to say Trey Flowers is the issue. Right cornerback is the issue. Sure. Because the problem isn't Trey Flowers individually. It's the fact that there's not anybody better than Trey Flowers on the roster, and the fact that people are so convinced that Sidney Jones, who the Jacksonville Jaguars had last year, and you know what they what after they had Sidney Jones all year, they were like, we need to go pay Shaquille Griffin a fuck ton of money because we can't have Sidney Jones starting games for us and he didn't wasn't going to make the roster which is why they traded him for like a future six round pick I don't know if you're aware that Sidney Jones went to UW I am aware DBU <laughs> ever heard of it I'm also aware that he subsequently suffered I'd fucking injury. take Trent McDuffie seen. right now wow look if they had the option to play Trent McDuffie at quarterback that actually be ankle sprain and all very fun uh <laughs> If you could do that, if you could trade, you're like, Trent McDuffie, granted, he's still in college, but you could have him right now. It'd be pretty fun. Who was Seahawks trading to UW? That was the question mark. Trey Flowers. <laughs> I think Trey Flowers would be a very, very good college Very good college quarterback. But <laughs> look, you give me Kyler, you give me Trent McDuffie, I'll take either of them. Uh, but I think the Seahawks <laughs> have a probably a better sense than any other franchise, including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where Richard Sherman is at physically at this point. And I, I, I think there's a reason that they have not they, signed him. They have to do something here. I agree they have to do something, but I think that is going to maybe, have to be some sort of a trade. Maybe it's not Richard Sherman, but if the Seahawks actually want to compete this year, if they legitimately think, and granted, Pete Carroll's 70 years old, you've just informed me. and <laughs> They've also created a lot of cap space with their moves. Shots to Danny and his wedding this weekend. The... <laughs> You only have so many years of Russell Wilson at this point, right? He was disgruntled this offseason. Yeah, you might only have one year of Russell Wilson at this point. <laughs> they have to make a move in the secondary to find another cornerback. And I believe that there are other cornerbacks out there. I'm not saying you should overpay for somebody necessarily. Maybe wait it out and see if there's an inefficiency that's going on or a player that needs to be traded and you can pick up for a fourth, fifth round pick or something like that. But I think the challenge with that, though, is corner is not as easy to plug and play, especially midseason. Like, we've seen what happens when the Seahawks bring in corners from other systems. It just doesn't work. Yeah, so that's release the them. challenge. They will release them, no matter what. It's not like bringing in Dunlap, Carlos Dunlap and just telling him, hey, rush the passer. Like, it's not different than what he was doing Do you think they forgot to tell him to rush the passer? <laughs> they forgot week. to play Carlos Dunlap last week. The, but you look at it, and you have to say to yourself, as a tandem, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are, there's a very good chance they are the best wide receivers in the NFL after Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf. You seem skeptical about this. A.J. Brown did not play well on Sunday. But He's not played well in either of his first two games. They are an extraordinarily good tandem of wide receivers. Yes. And they, I mean, that is a group that's built to attack a defense with one weak cornerback. They're not the only team with a tandem of good wide receivers. I can think of a team they're going to play this week that has a tandem of good wide receivers. Yeah. Which brings us to... I I don't want to talk about the Vikings just yet. Oh, Because I wanted to read... I'm so ready to complain more. Whatever you got. A listener email. Oh, hello! Zach Jabal emailed us after last week's podcast. A late listener email. Not at the beginning of the podcast. I've shook. I've saved it. Uh, listen to the latest podcast with renewed gratitude that my alma mater doesn't even have a football team. I largely agreed with your takes, Ari, the Seahawks, but I think we still still have a bit of a Pete Carroll problem. 
it's easy to ignore because the offense looked good and all that, but we had a trio of overly conservative punts while the game was still very much in the balance. The first one was particularly galling because it came after the Seahawks had scored touchdowns on their first two drives, and the Colts had shown no real, real ability to stop the offense, so punting on fourth and four from around midfield is not ideal. They literally punted on fourth and five from about the same spot twice. Like you both, I'm largely excited about how the team looked in week one and the various ways that Pete has seemed to grow and evolve over the years. That said, I worry that in week two against Tennessee or later in the season against an NFC West foe, he'll be too willing to play the field position game instead of trusting his own offense to control the game. Hope to be wrong. And look, people aren't focusing on this because it didn't happen at the end of the game. But at one point here, they didn't go for a fourth and two across midfield, I'm pretty sure. It was like a, a pretty bad decision. And then the offense was on the field on that fourth and one late in the game before the full start. I agree with Mike Salk's uh, skeptical tone to Pete Carroll, which Pete Carroll kind of swatted away and rejected. I didn't, I didn't listen to Pete this week. <laughs> he, he was like, were you, gonna, were you actually going to go for it on that fourth and one? Or was the offense just out there? And he was like, what, what's, what's with that tone? I don't think that we're going to go for it. And situations like this, it ends up mattering. When you play a three-point game, so Zach Gabal wrote that email before this week. He did. Wow, Jabal, 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 <clears throat> Ashbury. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, should we talk about the Vikings? Uh, well, I I think he's dead on. I mean, yes, it certainly uh, makes some sense. It's it's the type of game where we. We ultimately blame the team for the loss. We blame the players for the loss. But there are things that Pete Carroll could have done. It was a fourth and three, by the way, from the, the Titans 48 that they punted on. That they punted on, but not the one where they got the full start, right? Yeah, that was a that was a fourth and one. That was it that was on their last drive. Or the last full drive of regulation. They had that, that final drive with twenty nine seconds left. There were situations that they could have potentially ended the game sooner had they been more aggressive. And by opening yourself up to that, that's a Pete Carroll issue more than it is a personnel issue. And it's it's one of the few things you can control on the field. All right, let's talk about Minnesota, who comes in in DVOA splits at 14th on offense, 21st on defense, and 12th on special teams. Lost their first two games by a combined four points in overtime loss at Cincinnati, and then a 34-33 loss last Sunday at Arizona. Kirk Cousins off to an accurate start. He's completing 72% of his passes, no interceptions for the first two weeks. But his 10.3 yards per completion ranked 25th thus far. So a lot of short passing thus far. Uh, Russell Wilson is second in that stat at 14.9 yard, yards per completion. And NFC West quarterbacks are each of the top three spots. <laughs> I'll let you guess which NFC West quarterback is not in the top three. It's not Jared Goff, for the record. Uh, it's Jimmy G? It's Jimmy G, <clears throat> yes. After I in- told everybody about Kyler. After everybody. In- you did. I told everybody about Matthew Stafford and the Rams offense. Oh, well, Fine. Normal take guy. That's your. <laughs> I think yeah, so many people think that that would. <laughs> that's you. That's that's normal. <laughs> normal take. Normal take guy. This reminds me of the WNBA pre. pre- like they're play. not hot and they're not cold. They're normal. <laughs> WNBA playoff preview. We did. I literally picked Chalk across the board. It's like I don't know. I don't. I don't think any of these teams it's are me. likely to normal lose. Normal take guy. 
It's a very bad SNL skit. Normal take guy. You're on with Stephen A. Smith. But <laughs> exactly. you're just like, I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm saying Michael Jordan is the best basketball player of all time. I'm normal take guy. Look, no one else dares to say it. Tom Brady is the greatest winner in modern professional <laughs> sports. <laughs> After a midland season opener. Congrats on taking the Matthew Stafford victory lap. <laughs> I'm not taking the victory lap yet. It's very early in the season. No People were taking that literally before the previous season ended. The night before the previous season <laughs> I ended. I don't think they were doing it that soon. That's when the trade happened. Remember? Oh, I guess you're right. Yes. It was, it was the week before the Super Bowl, right? It was. It People was have been season. making the Matthew Stafford <laughs> will make the Rams good take. I'm just saying since this before the previous season ended. You're like, oh yeah, look who fucking called it over here. On this particular podcast, good in the pod- preview podcast we were recorded with Ben Baldwin, that was a dissenting take. There's, there's, I'm just saying. Look, there's some people who want to have uh, takes that are able to age, like a fine wine. Shouts to Zach Jabal. And you want to have the take that you have through two weeks. I want to have the fresh hop of takes. The fr- yeah. <laughs> the- <clears throat> there was nothing fresh about that take at all, for the record. Anyway. I can post it in the moment. <clears throat> After a midland season opener, Delvin Cook had 22 carries for 131 yards Sunday before leaving in the fourth quarter with a minor ankle sprain. Probably surprising if he doesn't play this week. Uh, based on the severity of that. But his backup, Alexander Madison, you'll recall, had 20 carries for 112 yards last year against the Seahawks on Sunday night before being, or Monday night, one of those nights, before being stopped for no game. Sunday night. That was Sunday night. On fourth and one before the Seahawks game-winning drive. Uh, Justin Jefferson, coming off his phenomenal rookie season, has a team-high 19 targets this year, but averaging just 7.2 yards per target, uh, down substantially from his massive yards per target last season when he was on two of my fantasy teams. I don't have him in, on, in any of this mm. season. I'm feeling okay about that at this point. Uh, Adam Thielen, he uh, averaged 11.2 yards per target as a rookie, which is amazing. Uh, Adam Thielen leads the team with 15 catches and three touchdowns, while number three receiver K.J. Osborne has a team-high 167 yards through two weeks and appears near the top of every time you sort by wide, available <laughs> wide receivers in fantasy. <laughs> Who? K.J. Osborne? Yeah. Okay. Their tight ends are not really involved I'm, gonna, at I'm all. claiming him. Don't worry. Okay. With Irv Smith Jr. out for the season after meniscus surgery. And the most important thing is that time is a flat circle and that this game has been played every single year. Is, fucking Groundhog Day style. Palm is, Springs. But this is the first time it's been in Minneapolis. It's always been in Seattle. That is That is a little bit confusing for us. Yes. Uh, but the Seahawks are going into the cave, and they will come out playing the Vikings again, just as they play Carson Wentz every single year. So, too, must they play against the Minnesota Vikings. It, this is all accurate. And this preview, you could have con- Control-C, Control-V from last year. Dalvin Cook had a bounce-back game. He's a little bit injured. Alexander Madison will play. Justin Jefferson is good. Adam Thielen is good. This is what the Vikings are. Kirk Cousins is is playing efficiently, but he's not getting the ball downfield as much as you would want. <laughs> like, I don't... Well, the defense changed a lot last year. We can control C from last year, but not previous years, because the defense for the Vikings was in the top five under Mike Zimmer in DVOA from 2017 through 2019 before dropping to 18th last season. 
The regression you would have expected in Football Outsiders projected has yet to materialize despite the return of edge rusher Daniil Hunter, who has four sacks after missing all of 2020 due to a back injury. The Vikings are allowing 8.3 net yards per pass, the seventh highest in the NFL. A large chunk of that was Kyler Murray, who went 29 of 36 for 400 yards and three touchdowns last week, albeit with a pair of interceptions. Uh, aging linebacker Anthony Barr yet to play this season due to a knee injury. Now, the other thing we've got to change is, look, the Vikings still have some question marks at kicker, but it's a different kicker uh, because after, who was the kicker before? It was the Cowboys, longtime Cowboys kicker. <clears throat> Blair Walsh. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it was not Blair Walsh, sadly. Dan Bryant. That's who it was, right? That's his name? Uh, so they have a new kicker this year in journeyman Greg Joseph, who's gone five, three of three from 50-plus yards for the first two weeks, including one to force overtime in week one against Cincinnati, but then missed a 37-yarder at the end of regulation that would have won Sunday's game. So uh, uh, certainly a, a major question mark there, but Mike Zimmer, Dan Bailey, Dan Bailey, that's it. Uh, Mike Zimmer vocal in his support of Joseph after the game. Wow, very un-Jim Elmore Jr.-like. I agree. Uh, also very un-Mike Zimmer-esque, I would say. I wasn't able to see really any of these first two Vikings games. It was one of those things where they played opposite the Seahawks in week one, right? So they were on red zone a little bit, but just didn't really see that much of it. And then week two, again, we were... Yeah, they played opposite the Seahawks, and we were in the stadium. Weren't they playing? They were playing in the afternoon? Yes. So, saw none of it, right? Like, I got home and was just like, what happened in all these games? The Vikings lost because of a field goal? Uh, but those were the only things that I didn't understand, was those two specific games. Because me, like everybody else, understands completely the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> And understands completely exactly how this game will go, which is to say, I, I don't, they're not going to hound Kirk Cousins. Like, Kirk Cousins is going to move the ball down the field. Yes. And it's going to be extraordinarily frustrating. Uh, Dalvin Cook slash Alexander Madison slash, God, who's that third running back? They still have him. Everybody had him in fantasy once Alexander Madison got hurt. They're going to rack up yardage with these running backs. They're going to have plays. I believe that, Amir Abdullah is their number three back. Oh, really? It's a slightly newer one. Uh, it, it's, going, it's going to be a frustrating performance. And in the end, the Seahawks will have the ball down four <laughs> and need a touchdown to score with like 236 on the clock. Like if, if the Seahawks are anything like the team that we have seen before and the team that we anticipate to see this year, that will be the situation in Minnesota, and it'll come down to, I want to call it the Metrodome. Uh, oh. What do they call it? They it's going to come down to Ken Griffey Jr. robbing a home run <laughs> at the end of the game. <laughs> Target Field? Uh, what's the name of their stadium? Bank of America Stadium? That can't be right. The, but that, that's going to be the situation. And I think that there will be moments where we're very excited about what the Seahawks offense does. And then all of a sudden the Vikings will be up. Like that's just the reality. US how, Bank State. Oh yeah. You, I, I knew it was not BOA. That's right. Bank of America's Charlotte. Right. Yeah. But that's the situation of what this game is going to look like. We know what's going to happen. These are the two most consistent teams across the NFL. They do not change. 
Sadly, Carolina changed too much. It used to be the Seahawks and Carolina were the two teams that always played in the games were always the same. But now it's now it's the Seahawks. Cam and the Newton. Vikings. Cam Newton. He may still get signed by somebody and play against the Seahawks. Because <laughs> we can't rule that out. Don't rule that out. But mm-hmm. like this, this is it. This is what we're gonna see. Can I tell you the exciting news about this game? <sighs> What's that? U.S. Bank Stadium is a dome stadium. <laughs> You do not put Russell Wilson in a dome stadium and live to tell about it. You just can't do it. Has he ever lost in a dome? I well, <laughs> I can think of one notable game. I don't know if the roof was closed in, in Phoenix, in Glendale. Uh, but I can think of one game that they lost in a dome. Uh, so I, I think it may be even a little better than that. But wow. you're right that the game is almost... It, these teams are very similar to what they were last year, and that's that was the outcome last year. And it was 50-50 last year. I mean, you look at the line, Seahawks minus one, I guess when you apply home field advantage, you would have to say that the Seahawks are like four-point favorites here, but, I, you know... It's tough to say how much home field advantage is worth anymore, by the way. Especially with everybody vaccinated, masked, am I right? Um, but the... This is basically like a pick 'em game, ultimately, which is what the, that scenario is. And I think it's an accurate depiction of what these two teams look like. The line is now one and a half for the record. I'm going Seahawks 60% chance to win. All right. I'll, I'll roll with you at 60%. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, we, we very often, very rarely both come up with the same number. It's kind of what I was thinking, and you said 60, and it sounded good. I think they're going to win this game. Like, I think they are a better team than Minnesota is, and I think they're going to be able to execute. At the same time, Kirk Cousins is going to move the ball against the secondary, and I really, really hope that there's going to be pass rush. I'm not willing to write off the pass rush yet because I do think there's talent there. I think we know what the secondary is. And I think we know the secondary's ability to cover is. I'm not willing to say that we know what the pass rush is because I think with that many different rushers, that there can be there can be some breakthroughs. We'll see if it happens. Indeed, we will. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.